0: Not sure how many of you may have seen the movie Barbie, starring Margot Robbie. And if you did, towards the end of the movie, you may have taken note of Margot wearing a pair of Bergenstock sandals. And of course, they were pink. Oddly enough, another Margot was why Margot Robbie was wearing those sandals. Now, the Margot I'm referencing played a pivotal role in making Bergenstock sandals a very popular item in the United States. What's even more credible about this story is that this Margot knew absolutely nothing about shoes. How did she do this? Welcome to That's Life, I Swear. This podcast is about life's happenings in this world that conjure up such words as intriguing, frightening, life changing, inspiring, and more. I'm Rick Barron, your host. That said, here's the rest of this story. If you follow the business financial news, you know that on October 11th of 2023, the German sandal maker Birkenstock went public. The company priced its IPO at $46 per share in the middle of its 44 to 49 price range. At the end of the day, they raised about almost $1.5 billion and gave Birkenstock a valuation of around $8.64 billion. Not bad. How did all this come about? Well first let me walk you through a little history about Bergenstock. Now don't worry, we'll get to the other Margot in a bit. Bergenstock is the family name of the brand's founder, Johann Adam Bergenstock. Well, there's a name. The Bergenstock Company traces its roots back to seventeen seventy four. Church records in Lankenbergheim, a town outside Frankfurt, indicated that one Johann Adam Bergenstock was registered there. As a shoemaker, he came up with a novel idea of making fitness sandals to promote a natural gait in your walking. In the late 19th century, a descendant named Conrad Birkenstock opened two shops in Frankfurt. He made shoes, not sandals. Now, at the time, the insoles of shoes were typically flat, and Conrad's innovation was to make shoes with insoles that were contoured to fit and support the foot. He was one of the world's first shoemakers to experiment with insoles actually molded to the shape of the foot, rather than the traditional flat footbed back in 1896. A more flexible footbed, if you will. In the early 20th century, as shoe production became increasingly industrialized, Conrad developed flexible rubber insoles that could be inserted into commercially made shoes to create a more comfortable, as they would say, fuss bed or footbed. He became an orthopedic authority, as did his son Carl Bergenstock, who joined the family business in his teens. Carl eventually wrote several books and pamphlets about foot health. They were filled with cross-sectional drawings of feet, misshapen by inappropriate shoes. Carl Bergenstock's son, Carl, with a K, joined the business, and in the 60s, the company began producing sandals. According to company lore, Carl, the one with the K, experimented in his family kitchen, baking a blend of cork and latex to produce a material that was light, resilient, and supportive. Okay, history lesson is over. Let's get back to Margot Frazier. Who was she? Well, she drove Birkenstock's success in the United States for 40 plus years. Now again, bear in mind, all this came about only because she had tired feet one day. I'll tell you the story right now. The journey of Birkenstock's evolution from a niche German wellness product into a global fashion icon wouldn't have unfolded as it did without the involvement of this remarkable woman. Born in 1929 and raised in Berlin, Margot made her mark as a successful dressmaker in Bremen, Germany. When she attended elementary school in the 1930s, she remembers her principal saying, Girls were capable of anything and should follow their dreams. Now, Margot took this quote to heart, but not her mother, who thought that that type of thinking was nothing but silly nonsense. Even Margot's father was of the same mindset. When she told him she wanted to travel the world for business and show people that not all Germans were bad, he responded, My dear, you could never do that as a woman. For Margot, the word impossible was not part of her demeanor. But rather the word possible. Faced with a bleak World War II Germany and her strong passion for her dream, she resolved to leave her homeland and headed over to the United States. Margot later found her roots and settled in Santa Cruz, California. By the early 60s, she became an American citizen and married an American. Struggling with chronic foot pain, Margot's life took an unexpected turn in 1966 during her visit to Germany, when she stumbled upon a pair of Madrid sandals. Madrid. Keep that name in mind, as there's a story to those sandals. She explained the transformation these sandals triggered in her. She said, and I quote, All the exercises the doctor told me to do, like standing on a phone book and grabbing it with my toes, which made me feel like a hero if I could do it for three minutes, I did automatically with these sandals. End quote. Margot found the sandals well made and that function over form won her over. Now, little did she know that putting on these pair of sandals was about to change her life, not to mention the role she would have coming up with a new marketing name for the sandals she had tried on down the road. Later on, the porch light went on in Margot's head. Impressed with the comfort and health benefits of these sandals, she recognized a potential market for Bergenstock in the United States. Upon her return to the United States, she took a leap of faith and reached out to Carl Birkenstock, Carl, the one with the K, proposing the import of his innovative sandals. At the time, she observed all women's shoes were narrow and had pointed toes. Even the so-called healthy shoes still had heels. With countless American women enduring foot pain, Margot envisioned an easy transition into these fantastic footwear creations. Much to Margot's surprise, she was stunned when Carl Borgenstock said, Yes, let's do it. Her initial encounters with skepticism, where shoe store managers insisted that her sandals would never sell, were met with resilience. A friend's ingenious suggestion led her to set up a booth at a health food convention in San Francisco. Her very first customers were health food store owners, familiar with the discomfort of standing all day. Who began selling Birkenstocks besides granola bars and vitamins on their shelves? Ironically, the earlier store managers who had initially dismissed her found themselves desperately seeking Birkenstocks. Marco shared a story how the shoe store managers early on came to saying, Look, there's a health food store on my street, and people are walking out with shoe boxes. They should be walking out of my store with shoe boxes. Much like the earth shoe that emerged from Scandinavia in the early 70s, known for its health-enhancing design with a lower heel cup compared to the toe, Birkenstocks became synonymous with the counterculture of the era. Now, how did someone who knew nothing about shoes, let alone sandals, accomplish her standing with Birkenstock? I guess you could call it basic marketing one-on-one. Where Margot excelled was paying keen attention to what women wanted. She listened they were her first customers. They were also her best customers. Bergerstock's financial document credit the breakthrough of modern feminism as a key driver of its business. And the company's private equity backers cite the product's appeal to women as one of the reasons they invested. In fact, Bergerstock says 72% of its customers are females. Looking at the breakdown of the company's base is remarkable when you consider they pitch its products to be unisex. I mean, Steve Jobs wore these sandals. Sneaker geeks have an obsession with these shoes. Before you knew it, Marco began introducing the brand to American consumers and found Birkenstock Footprint Sandal Inc. in California in 1967 and became the first distributor of Birkenstock sandals in the United States. They say timing isn't everything not to mention location, location, location. Margot began to make inroads with the consumer in the 1970s as sales for sandals were picking up steam. In the United States, Birkenstocks were first popular among young men and later on with flower children, a group traditionally associated with American liberalism. The shoe became popular with hippies and others who had a back-to-nature philosophy and appreciated the natural foot shape and foot-friendly comfort, the Bergenstocks. Now, these sandals would have crossed the ocean eventually, but the sandals became a symbol of rebellion because they landed in the heart of the counterculture of the United States, California in particular, when and where people were allergic to the mainstream and willing to wear their anti-establishment values on their feet. Margot's marketing efforts and grassroots approach to promoting Bergenstock sandals soon took off over the years. She emphasized the comfort and the orthopedic advantages of the sandals, thus the value and for the consumer's feet. Her efforts gradually gained traction. Bergenstock sandals began to attract a dedicated following, especially among people seeking comfort and supportive footwear. Margot formed a close relationship with the Birkenstock family, sharing their unwavering passion for all things Bergenstock. They crafted shoes and made pivotal company decisions based on her invaluable feedback. Now, an example of her marketing sense was when she tried on Birkenstock sandals for the very first time back in Germany. Remember when she had very tired feet? Well, that moment, Margot laid eyes on that very ugly sandal, and she knew it was something special. Its official name at the time was the original Bergenstock footbed sandal. But her instincts told her that a name like that just wouldn't catch the American public, particularly with the women. She passionately pitched her marketing insight to her German partners, who embraced her suggestion. And so, the single-strap sensation was reborn as the Madrid. Fast forward, and it's not just any bestseller. It's one of the company's absolute stars. The bold taste of the American consumer influenced the production in Germany. Marco told a story how sometimes her ideas were met with resistance. She remembers saying that when I started to ask for color... The man who had to distribute the sandals in Switzerland said, This woman is going to ruin us. We are orthopedic. We don't need a color. But they brought color into the United States, and it helped sales everywhere. The transformation of this business since Margaret Frazier's game changing sale of Bergenstock USA to her employees in her retirement in 2002 is nothing short of astonishing. It's like the company stepped into a time machine, propelled into a thrilling new era. Fast forward to today, and you hardly recognize the company. Birkenstock isn't just about comfy sandals anymore. It's a whirlwind of innovations. Sneakers, boots, wooden wonders, and waterproof masterpieces now grace its product line. I mean, gone are the days when these sandals were just an anti-fashion statement. I mean, they've undergone a Cinderella-style makeover, becoming the go-to choice for the posh and the famous, including celebrities and models. Again, none of this epic journey would have been possible without the unbeatable Margot Fraser at the helm. I mean, she is a true hero of this Birkenstock adventure, particularly in the United States. Sadly, we lost Margot Frazier in 2017 at the age of 88, but her legacy will live on with Birkenstock. The company will not be in this place with the energy of a woman who knew nothing about shoes. The CEO of Birkenstock America's division could not have stated it better when Margo passed away. He said, and I quote, It's not an overstatement to say that Margo's pioneering efforts paved the way for European comfort brands here in the United States. It is because of Margo and the foundation she built that the brand is enjoying the success that it is today. And it's because of Margo that shoes that are good for you have a place in so many stores and closets across the country. End quote. What can we learn from this story? What's the takeaway? Margot Fraser's success at Broken Stock was a result of impeccable timing, market understanding, adaptability, passion, effective marketing, and cross-generational appeal and her unwavering dedication. Her journey of 40 plus years serves as a compelling case for entrepreneurs and business leaders to take the word impossible and convert it to possible. Well, there you go, my friends. That's life, I swear. For further information regarding the material covered in this episode, I invite you to visit my website, which you can find on either Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, for show notes, calling out key pieces of content mentioned, and the episode transcript. As always, I thank you for listening and your interest. Be sure to subscribe here or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. See you soon.